had a private Instagram when I was like 14 because I didn't want like creepy old dudes following me and being like, hey, show me your toes. But like, you know, I'm like 21 now. I, I feel like I can deal with the creepy old dudes. You can show people your toes now. It's fine. And you know, make a look side hustle. Yeah. Welcome to another episode of Two Two Guys, a podcast about ballet hosted by ballet dancers. My name is Keelan, and today on the show I have a special guest, Andrus Kunzins. How was that? Did I pronounce Hello? it right? Yeah, you pronounced it right. Okay. It was very, very articulate. I'm, I'm trying. I got these big lips I got to work around, so I'm, I'm doing my best. <laughs> uh, how's it going? How are you? It's pretty good. I'm... I'm doing okay. Not much going on in my life right now. You look good. Just uh, thank you. The handsome quotient for today is covered. Awesome. Yeah. I, all of the listeners can hear my, my radiating beauty through my voice. Yeah. Uh, I've noticed that we both have, seems like smoothies in the frame because they also they look pretty similar too. They're both brown. They do. They both got that lovely uh, swampy. <laughs> consistency yeah. and it looks like we're visual. drinking the same smoothie it does actually yeah cheers do you have peanut oh. butter in yours i do okay yeah. okay <laughs> cheers cheers on three okay okay one two three cheers Boop. You, you downed that uh yeah what's in yours uh it's uh almond milk a banana and peanut butter protein powder wow that's like remarkably similar. I have oat milk, but so it's still an alternative milk, uh, two bananas and a scoop of peanut butter and then a big thing of chocolate protein powder. Ah, I used to put Ch strawberries in it, but strawberries are expensive right now. So, hmm. Right. We're, um, we're keeping out on the strawberries. Yeah. There's plenty of time in your life to buy strawberries. Don't worry. Exactly. Did you work out previously? Is that why you're doing the smoothie? No, I got up kind of late. I've, I kind of just mosey around. We're all kind of on this enforced winter holiday thing, you know? Yeah, like semi-internal hibernation. I've been hearing positive reports that we might be able to have something of a normal summer if the vaccine rollout continues. So, mm -hmm. I mean, there's an upside, you know, at least for the, the coldest, darkest months of the year is the one we're locked in. And hopefully we can reemerge when the sun comes back. Yeah, I mean, we already spent one summer quarantine yeah but to that point having our summer in quarantine it was actually the first summer in a long almost my whole life that i was actually able to in what like i felt like was my own like a genuine summer experience because like i was always doing something as a kid it was either doing going to like ballet workshops or i was doing uh, competitive swimming mm -hmm. but over quarantine my girlfriend's parents took me in so we could be together and you know we got to go hiking we got to have like little picnics and go biking and do all these like what I would imagine is like summer activities of like a teenager just having fun in the summer and not you know pushing themselves to compete or yeah stressing themselves out with ballet it was a nice glimpse into like normal life normalcy yeah are we human or are we dancer you got to experience mm -hmm. a bit a bit of this kind of weird human but still Definitely not just dancer. So I go for a run every morning. 
right? It's my first thing I do kind of, I build towards in the morning and I go for a, like a 5k and I listen to currently Obama's newest book on audiobook, and I love it. It's awesome. And so yesterday it was plus four uh, Celsius. And so a lot of the snow was melting, right? So it was kind of nasty and muddy and mushy everywhere. But today is minus two. So overnight, a lot of that stuff froze. And so I wanted to add a little bit to my run, throw in a couple extra blocks. And I took a right turn on some side street and saw a wet patch, thought nothing of it. Whoop! Wipe the <laughs> F out and w- was fine. But was I just sat there for like a couple minutes, probably. I don't know. Yeah. Time stood still. And nobody was around. Nobody saw it. But I sat there kind of shook. Like I just wiped the F out like hard. And I was fine. And I was like, okay, I'm, I'm not in pain. I got up. As I got up, I looked at the ice patch and I gave yeah. it the finger. Tell you that much. Um, I might have even said a little something. <laughs> Rightfully uh, so. But, but then I kept going. And then I was like, oh, my hand's like wet. What's going on? I, somehow my, I cut my finger on the Ooh. inside. Yeah. Oh, I was, I was noticing that earlier. I was wondering where the bandage came from. I don't know how, like, I fell on my right hand but the inside of my finger is cut. Like I don't, I literally have no idea how like, but alas, I'm a wounded man today. Ice can be nasty. I remember there was one time, uh, I'm, I I don't know if, I don't think we said this, but I'm also Canadian, like Keelan. I'm dancing in America. I've spent most of my, I've been training here. (laughs) One time when we were coming back, my my whole family was coming back from, uh, I think it was like a vacation that we had, we're doing down in Maine. And we was like one in the morning, super late. Everyone was tired. We've been driving all day. And after we crossed the border, I think, I think we were on vacation because we had a, ta- a trailer. And he went into the back to check stuff. And like, then he was gone for like 10 minutes. And mom and I were in the car. We were like, where's dad? I don't remember if he came back to the door or if mom got out. But like he, he'd slipped and fallen on the ice. It was like, like I said, it was one in the morning. It was dark. didn't see. And he'd fallen over one of those like speed bump things. And mom and I, you know, sitting there for like 10 minutes in the morning. We're like, what's taking so long? Where did he yeah. go? I wonder what happened. And he's like lying on the ground, like across, yeah. just like past the border. Right. He's just thinking like, my family will remember me. They'll, they'll come for me. Cuts to the family just like eating chips and yeah. watching complaining. YouTube videos. Yeah. He's always so slow. Crawling back to the car. It's unable to get any traction. <laughs> it's a little bit of a hill. It's like sliding back down. Yeah. Shout out to dads out there, you know? Oh yeah. Doing the most. Suffer alone. Even when they're not appreciated to the fullest extent. Yeah. They be the butt end of the jokes. Well, so we touched there on your Canadian citizenship, but yes. you, know, you do have an American part of your life. Do you want to walk us through? Yeah, I'll do a, a brief overview, trying not to drag it on. Oh, when I was young, I miraculously decided I wanted to be a dancer. Possibly the best choice of my life, possibly the worst. I thought you were gonna say possibly the best answer in the world. Like, Hell yeah, son. <laughs> Ambition. And uh, I started off with tap and jazz in home of Nova Scotia. I was born in Nova Scotia. I lived there for the first 14 years of my life as a competition dancer. What city? Was it Halifax? Uh, Halifax, yeah. Ballet started to kind of become a thing and I hadn't really taken to it. But for whatever reason, we were at a dance competition and I, something had clicked in my head and I was like, mom, I need to take ballet. She was like, okay, cool. 
I don't know how long I had been taking ballet before the summer intensive where I met you came to be, which I didn't want to go to initially. I was, I guess, I don't want to do this. It's taken away from my, my summer. But uh, yeah, then I met you when I was 13 at the summer intensive there. And first, you're my first real uh, professional male dancer. I'd had like female teachers up until that point, which nothing against female teachers, but there's something special about like being a young male dancer and seeing a like, you know, a strong, powerful, fully developed male dancer for the first time. And I was just like, oh my God. So then that's when I decided I wanted to be a dancer for my career. And luckily at that time, there was also another teacher there named Miss Kunch. And uh, she gave me a scholarship to come down and train in the States at Nutmeg Ballet, which is in Connecticut. I stayed there for four years. I trained there. And then my sister came down. She wants to use a ballet dancer as well. And then since both of us were there, my whole family moved down. So then whole Cousins family unit was living in Connecticut. Mm-hmm. And then from there, I, uh, I finished my training there and I came to San Francisco, hoping to be a trainee, but uh, <laughs> was severely shocked at the skill level of other male ballet dancers <laughs> when, yeah. when I was thrown into the ring. And I was like, okay, wow, I got to get, I got to get better. And I spent two years in the school there. And then this year I just got uh, hired as an apprentice. That's right. And that's where I'm at right now. If I'm correct, you were able to skip trainee and go right to apprenticeship. Yeah. And here you are now spending most of your apprentice year inside. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. First year breaking out of the school environment. And as we all know, it's a very uh, unique experience. And so that's why I wanted to have you on. When I think about the landscape of this art form, for the young people who are right on the cusp of entering it, there's a there's a, a kind of a weight there. There's a heaviness to just the difficulty that they, people, yourself included, must be facing. And then kind of quickly, there's a, oh, thank God this isn't me. Like, thank God I've, this didn't yeah. happen to me, right? Um, there's just like a gratitude for, for that. So I was hoping we could talk about what you're going through, what it's felt like for you, what your peers are going through and yeah. uh, what, you, what you've heard, what you've seen uh, and what you think is gonna happen to this generation of people who, if they were to follow their trajectory mm-hmm. unhindered, they would be finishing school, leaving school and going and seeking jobs. At this point, they can't be doing the school, they can't be seeking jobs. And it's really unclear as to when things will normalize in terms mm-hmm. of companies hiring at the same rate they've been hiring before. Exactly. And like, it's not like they're not looking for jobs. Is that the, I know I have a lot of friends still in the school and a lot of them are like avidly looking for jobs that are on top of it. It's just, no one has the ability to take in new people this year. So it seems, or if they do, it's, you know, very few and far between on top of the fact already that, uh, you know, getting into a company is a difficult thing. Maybe it would be worth to kind of a brief explanation for those who don't know how the hiring process in ballet generally works. Maybe we can give a little background. So basically, if you want a job, you're relying on an opening becoming available. So they might have 50 contracts and they currently have 50 dancers. If you want to be hired for them for the following season, you need people to leave. Or for them to have gotten like a grant or, yeah. You basically need the spots that are currently filled to somehow become vacant. And so 
because of the situation. And I've heard this from a number of people, friends, colleagues, people in the industry. Look, I'd like to leave, but I have a job. And so I'm going to keep yeah. it because there isn't any leaving right now. And so that's kind of the way that the ballet industry, I think, revolves. It's like a, it's like a revolving door. Yeah, it's like a musical chairs or something. Yeah, yeah. We all just kind of swap. <laughs> yeah, places. it is a musical chairs. <laughs> and right now, there might not be any chairs empty because everybody's like, I'm just going to stay seated, actually, yeah. until things kind of calm down, which kind of... Which you can't blame. You can't blame people for that, right? You want your stability of your livelihood. Totally understand that that mentality is you, you keep the paycheck. Uh, yeah. But because of that, you know, the lack of movement now within the industry, people who are trying to come up into it to kind of reach a ceiling and there's like, well, I can't go any higher than this. There's nobody's... Yeah, the door is not open. I always preferred in-person auditions, but you know, no one's doing that. Not to my knowledge, no one's inviting foreign people from their, you know, not, for, not foreign as in like different country, but foreign as in a different body from their main company. Cause you know, that's, that's a risk. You know, you invite someone to come take class and it's like, well, you know, they have to fly there probably, yeah. you know, that's a, that's added risk to your company's livelihood. Yeah every step of it is an added risk. And so maybe we just keep our people this year. Yeah. Well, so how did that work? So you, your contract started in July, mm -hmm. which was- But for the first, first like July and June, I was in Colorado with my girlfriend. Like, cause we, the contract had started, but I wasn't in San Francisco. Half the company wasn't in San Francisco. It was just like, you are a company dancer now, but we, we can't open the building. The building's not open to anyone to come take class. So was there a, at some point an order for people to come back? Yeah. No? Yeah. We were, that's we're pretty much what was going on is everyone was kind of just chilling out, waiting for, waiting for the studios to open so we could come back. I, I went back August 15th and then I had to quarantine for, you know, a two week period, get my tests. And the Valley, the San Francisco Valley was very lucky to be, we, they were able to test us on a, a weekly basis once a week so that we were all you know felt safe and able to go into the studios comfortably and then as soon as any if anyone did test positive even if it was a false positive we all were off quarantining for a safe period of time so you don't have like a normal company life to compare this to so i i can't ask you like how does this differ but from the sounds of it this sounds like it's kind of just a holding pattern like literally I have my toes in the door. I am, I'm technically a professional, but I haven't yet had a professional experience day even once. No, totally. I mean, we're going in, we're going in like an hour and 15 minutes a day to like, if right. there are, there are some par parts of the company are rehearsing rep and parts of the company are doing, you know, we've, we've been able to capture some stuff on film and some actually some pretty cool stuff, which uh, I don't know what would have happened if we weren't in the situation we were in we're all creative individuals and we've been trained to be so. And so you put us in a room and say, Hey, you can't go in the studio. You know, what can we do instead? People are going to come up with ideas. So your situation reminds me of when star Wars first came out in 1977, it was a massive hit and it wasn't expected to be such a big hit. Like they didn't predict the behemoth it became. Mm. And it was a huge hit with kids and fairly quickly they started making toys, but the toys sold out like the, you know, for the Christmas season, yeah. they sold out way faster than they could manufacture them. So what they started doing, which 
you get to decide if this was capitalism gone wrong or a genius idea. <laughs> yeah. But they were selling empty boxes with the promise of getting a toy when they were actually completed. Mm-hmm. And so for Christmas, kids would open up, a, oh, Luke Skywalker, and it's an empty box. And they yeah. would say, and have a card that said, sometime between March and June, your toy will arrive. Yeah. And so imagine your Christmas present is literally empty boxes and the promise of something down the line. Mm-hmm. That's the image I get yeah. when I think about the job you have now, where it's like, oh, this really cool thing I've, I've wanted for so long and it's on hold. So I have it, but not right now. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, not, it's not tangible. I can't touch, I can't touch my... Yeah. But it's still great. And it's still yeah, way it's, better it's than a, having yeah. it. Like you have it, it's a promise of something. Yeah. I will say the, in the beginning, I was just taking class with the other five apprentices because we were all in our pods, you know, we couldn't have big groups of people taking class and stuff. It feels like we're, we're not in the school, but it, it still it feels like a little bit of like, we're a detached entity from the, the body of the company. Like the dancers, like you haven't been integrated. In yeah, exactly. Family. We haven't been integrated into the company. We're still in my eyes, at least they're still company dancers. I'm part of the company. And I'm like, you know, I'm aware of that, but I don't see, in the social aspect and like the, like, I don't, I wouldn't say that I have like made a friend in the company yet because I haven't had the opportunity. Yeah. When you're in the school and you, you, you see the company dancers, you get to perform with them occasionally. You're like, wow, these are the company dancers. Like, this is so cool. I'm performing with the company. It still feels like that mindset to me. It still feels like I'm performing with the company as opposed to like, I am part of the company that's performing. Yeah. You feel separate. Yeah. Do you feel like this social aspect you're talking about is a really big kind of piece in your life right now? Like, is that really having an impact? I don't an emotional wear and tear. I don't think it's impacting me because it's not something that was there to begin with. It's not like I lost something. It's just, again, a promised future of like, I will have the opportunity to do this. It's just right now I'm, I don't have the opportunity. And it's from the limited interaction that I've had, everyone is super chill, super nice. Like I've had good experiences with our, uh, we have some, uh, our delegates committee that like works with the union and all of them are working really hard, you know, cause this is a difficult year for as apprentices because you know, you're, you're very, uh, you're very unstable position. Yeah. I don't have the feeling that they're like, Oh, these are just the apprentices. It's like, these guys are part of the company. Like, I feel, I feel like the doors are open when we can get to them. Like, yeah. To like, you know, make friends and, uh, mm. you know, dance just dance together do rep have have fun doing what we enjoy so you touched there on the precarious position that the role of the apprentice fills in the company and so i'd like to just elaborate on that slightly for those who might not be familiar Mm -hmm. in some companies in some parts of the world apprentice means unpaid but in a lot of parts of the world and i certainly believe it it should be paid because you're working and you're doing just as much work as everybody else the Dancers very often are expected to survive off of either starvation wages or simply no money at all. Yeah. When I was an apprentice, I was paid. You're being paid as an apprentice. So Mm -hmm. we're some of the lucky ones. But the apprentice position is, it kind of has a stigma of almost like, it's like a rookie, you know, it's like. Yeah, it's it's like a a very, very uh, chilled version of like hazing. It's like, it's like a freshman. Yeah, you go through, 
it's, I don't want to say a ritual, but it's like a. Uh... There is, there is, I think, a tradition at times of some kind of a hazing or some kind of a teasing, um, but I don't think. Initiation I, maybe is the better word. Initiation. I don't think it's pervasive though. I think it's case by case. Yeah. Certain people in certain companies might treat apprentices or first year dancers in a certain way. And I don't want to take away from if anybody does feel like it's too intense or it's traumatic. I'm not here to say it's not, but I don't think it's like the entire industry practices hazing rituals on apprentices. Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, that's not what we're saying. No. For the most part, people are people and we treat them as such. But, you know, I guess there is maybe a social kind of tradition that yeah apprentices might get teased a bit more um i have a friend of mine in estonia who i still refer to as an apprentice even though he's in his third year <laughs> core i just yeah uh, but it's, it's it's all in good fun yeah exactly as long okay. as both parties know that yeah yeah as long as everybody's consenting and having a good time yeah but there is a the professional side of it like you said if somebody's got to go it's likely to be the apprentices. It's kind of like you're here, but you're at the back of the car. Yeah. Like it's, you know, uh, and that's great that if the people who are representing you are very much treating you as equal to everybody else, that's great. But when push comes to shove, there is, I'm speaking on behalf of kind of the industry as a whole. And so I know that it's very much case by case, mm-hmm. right? But very often apprentices don't have the same rights or the same kind of, um, I mean, they obviously have the lowest seniority. Yeah. With all that said, as you're navigating this coronavirus, and as we said, you are even one of the lucky ones because you have that. Yeah. How do you feel looking ahead at the future of this industry? Let's say the near future, the next few years, how these are going to shake out. Like, what are you actually feeling? Well, I know we recently, we, we did get our, our letters of intent to know that for the next year, which as San Francisco Ballet has never done this, is that the, the six of us who were chosen as apprentices this year, will we have we've signed contracts to at least be apprentices next year. If a core spot or two opens up, maybe one, of, one or two of us will get promoted, but there has to be a spot to move into. No one's leaving, so there's no spaces. So they have, they have you know, they've told us we can be an apprentice for a second year. Uh, so that, that eased a lot of my, I was very, you say I, I was I had some anxiety over that about uh, I don't know potentially losing this thing that I've been working so hard to get I think that's I think that's the scariest thing is that you know I've been working my whole life and you know most of the people in this field have been working for the majority of their lives to get to the point where they are and for the six of us who just walked in the door of the professional scene and are like still taking it all in we uh, we don't want that to be taken away I've had, a, I've had a taste for the company. I've had a taste for like what the company life is like, well, barely what the company life is like or what the concept of it is. And what I don't want to lose that before I actually get my toy. Like what we, we said earlier, mm-hmm. I, like I don't want to lose the receipt for the toy that I bought before I get right. the toy. Yeah. Before I actually get to experience like dancing on stage and you know, that's the goal to do this and to, you know, make a living out of it. And that I'm so close to being able to have that like dream come true. That almost makes it more terrifying. The concept that not necessarily because I wasn't the right fit or that I wasn't good enough, but that it just Mm -hmm. like feasibly 
can't afford to have like another dancer right now is like that it's just it sucks if that would be the reason why how how many years of my life 16 years of my life were like building up to this one to be like eh. because also you know right now people like the top end of the school and the bottom end of the company are in a very difficult position because like if it doesn't work out somewhere right now there's not a lot of other places for it to work out yeah usually like the past three years all the apprentices have moved into the company so following that trend all of us most likely would have been accepted into the company this year or to some extent something like that would have happened and next year next year is the transition year between the current director and the new director and we're still we're spending a second year in the very vulnerable position right if we don't if we moved into core this year we would have had a year yeah. under our belts you know i've been here i have a stable position yeah i've impressed the ballet masters and stuff like yeah, that yeah exactly with the new i've gone past the trial period yeah should should things normalize and next year be a legitimate year where you actually get to dance and be seen the transition into hopefully from apprentice into core would take place at the same time as this currently as yet unnamed new director yes taking over and we have no idea what that person's vision may or may not be regarding bringing you guys on yeah exactly so there's a lot of yeah. like some anxiety about that about you know, yes, control. it's amazing that we're here and that we have these jobs. Yeah, like we said, like very lucky and fortunate to have like jumped in at this time. But it's like trying to keep your head above water when there's like an undercurrent that's like could possibly bring you down at like any second. What have you heard from your peers? Um, you know, you know people in the school, you know people who are trainees, you know people at all different levels. What's the discourse like? Well, like I said earlier, the the genuine fear of this thing you've been working for for so long not being able to do it is is a very real like concept right now of like especially for some of my friends in training i i know that they're uh that they're like extremely stressed that they're like you know sending their videos out everywhere it's it's not even like uh, a worry anymore it's it's developing to a genuine fear that no matter how hard they try or like what they do the circumstances right now will not allow for them to do what they want to do. And like I said, I talked about the apprentices already, the core core members, San Francisco ballet has been very nice. They've been, they have, they didn't let anyone go. They, you know, everyone has a job. They're keeping the apprentices. They're doing everything they can. So within from the core members that, that are my friends that I know they're, they seem fine. At least I haven't, I have not, uh, I, I don't sense any anxiety from the core. I sense a little bit of anxiety amongst us apprentices. There's that low level panic for sure of, of us being like, you know, we want a job and we're in a very precarious position to claim it. What about people like trainees or? And, but yeah, and then with the trainees, it's like, it, it really shows how much of a hierarchy system ballet is. The higher up you are, the more stable you are, the more confident you feel in this example, specifically of the core more or less feeling fine. The apprentices are like low level panic. We're a little, a little freaked out, but you know, we, we have a job right now. So we have, that's something, we have something to put on our resume. And then the trainees where it's like, they don't have that, uh, 
that extra thing to put on their resume. Trainees are basically unpaid apprentice. Is that right? Yeah, they get stipend. Would they be more aligned with the school or with the company? I would say trainee and apprentice are both uh, transitional positions. But I would say trainee is on the school side of it and apprentice on the company side of it. What are you hearing from these trainees about how they feel? Trainees and then anybody you know who's in the upper levels of the school, like close to graduating? It's worry and worry that their careers aren't going to happen. How dark is it? I wouldn't say like, I feel like dark makes it like, like I said, I'd say it's, it's uh, depressing. It's, it's, it's I guess, I guess, yeah, I guess that's dark. You know, you try and try and keep positive and trying to keep happy, but it's, it's this ever looming thought that like, as you get closer to the end of the ballet year, the need for reassurance gets bigger that like, you know, you're going to be able to do this next year. I think it gets, it's getting worse the closer we get to, like I said, the apprentices were, we are okay because we already have confirmation that next year we can dance. Yeah. But you know, for someone in trainee or at the top end of the school who are like, should be moving out of the school system into a company environment yeah. that don't have that reassurance that they can do this next year. The fear and the depression of that is like, gets bigger and bigger the further and further they go into the year without knowing it's like a backlog like a big highway four lanes Mm -hmm. and it needs to be condensed into three two or even one lane and you see as you know if you drive you see how how far back the impact is right we're talking kilometers back just because we're trying to narrow it down and so you know that means they're not hiring apprentices for next season so all those trainees and school dancers who would have moved up aren't being moved up. And then that's going to put more strain on next season, the apprentices who would therefore hopefully get hired. They're not all of them will necessarily be able to get hired. It's the, the reverberations of all of this will yeah. be felt through the industry for up to five years, maybe even more in a, you know, kind of long shot wild scenario, but you might find more and more dancers doing longer post-secondary because there simply aren't any yeah. apprentices full yet. And it's kind of like, somebody who's 15 right now might have a hard time getting a job in three or four years because the people who are looking for them now are still waiting for them. Like, you yeah. know what I mean? Unless this, this year just gets like chopped. You know what I mean? Unless this year, everyone just gets screwed this year. Yeah. I don't think it's, and it's not going to happen like that. I mean, I don't think, I don't think that's going to happen because people aren't like maniacal, like evil, just be yeah. like, you know what, let's just screw one whole generation so that everyone yeah. else is fine. They're going to try their best there are enough places people can go. Like you can say, Oh, I'm graduating from school. You know, I'm 19. I'd like to get a job, but I could still, because of the climate, it's not my fault. I can't get a job. I could feasibly just go to a different school. I can go train elsewhere. Right. Like you can hold on. There is that Mm -hmm. kind of early period where you, you know, even up to 22, 23, where you could feasibly just, just wait it out, you know, just keep training, keep training. Um, And, but I mean, that's the thing of the highway of you just keep waiting and waiting and in this highway metaphor, there is the option to always just pull off and exit the highway. Yeah. And I'm guessing that a lot of people, if we, if we think of how many people are in this boat right now on the planet, mm-hmm. a lot of them will choose that and just say, you know what, this isn't really working. Uh, I'm out. But most people don't want to do that. Dude, they put so much time into it. Yeah. 
and the impetus for going through all the training and giving up 15 consecutive summers is because we love it or we're compelled to dance like we have to. And so when you put another obstacle in front of us like this one, we're just going to keep running into that wall until we break through, right? Mm -hmm. Or break down, whatever happens first. Does that, does that, how does that feel? Does it, like, that, that, I feel like that metaphor is a, is a perfect example of it. You know, I think you really, you really hit it on the head. From what some of my teachers have told me, some professional dancers who came out of nutmeg were like, can't do it. Like, I can't live like this right now. Like, I don't have either through financially or whatever. I don't know their reason specific. I don't know them personally, but it's 100% because of the situation we're in. Yeah. This coronavirus and everything that it's done to us. Um, my heart breaks for these people, people I don't know, but I know that across the whole world, within this beautiful art form that we all share, like there's kind of an innocence to ballet because, and I've talked about this before, ballet is like bigger and better than all of us, right? Like even the best of us are not perfect. And so ballet is always bigger than us. And there's a, a humility to that. Mm -hmm. And the thought that there are thousands of young people right now who have yet to really prove themselves in any meaningful way, who are just hoping for that opportunity. And they're basically being told, hey, this, this circumstance, it really has nothing to do with you or your body, the limitations you feel physically, uh, your effort level. There just isn't really any room for you. And you went from competing with like basically your year group to you might be competing with four or five years now. And so there just isn't any room for you. And for the people out there who are stuck in that, I don't even like, it's awful. I don't even know how to feel enough empathy for that. Like it's just the, the weight of that is too much. And that's looking at it from an outside view, like thinking about what they're feeling and like, yeah, yeah. It's brutal. In ballet, we have, uh, it's like a limited career. Like generally the career window is a lot shorter. It's condensed, right? Yeah, a lucky 20 years. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so in Estonia, at the end of every season, we have a big company meeting and we all sit in the audience and they talk about next season and they give us some awards and stuff like that. And they bring you up if you're celebrating your, whatever it might be, maybe 10 years, 20 years, 30, 40, that kind <laughs> of thing, right? Yeah. Ballet dancers are never really getting called up, right? It's more this costume person and this person who works in the front office and et cetera, right? Mm -hmm. They should really be looking at dancers differently. If you're in this company for five years, you should be celebrated like somebody who's been working in the administration or working in finance for 20 years. Because if you work in finance, you can work there from 20 to 65, no problem. Mm -hmm. For us, if you spend five years here, that might be the wholeness of your career. Yeah, You might have a 15 year career, which is a very healthy long amount of time. And you've given a third of it to this organization. So this is a bit of a tangent here, a digression. Yeah. But all that to say, I'm just trying to paint a picture here. If we look at the high school graduates between 2018 and 2022, mm -hmm. they're the ones who are the most affected by this right now, probably, right? They're the people who are probably still either just in the training process. Maybe they've, yeah, like you, just entered a company in a trainee or an apprenticeship position or are still in school hoping to graduate soon and then enter into a company life we may end up losing them. And I think that you could look at that span of time as a generation of dancers, Yeah. right? 
not a generation in the sense of your normal definition of it, like 10, 20 years, you know, a generation of people, but because of the way the dance industry is such a short lifespan, four or five years is like a whole generation of our artists, right? That strata represents a whole period of time. And we may end up losing them in the same way that uh, you think of all of the incredible athletes that we lost during World War II and the Vietnam War because all of these young men mm-hmm. were off fighting wars. They couldn't be playing football and basketball and hockey and baseball. And so we lost these amazing athletes for those periods of time. Yeah. And we may be losing that here as well. And as somebody who, for some reason, I am ballet obsessed, (laughs) my heart breaks again for the art form. The idea that we might lose five years worth of incredible dancers, and not all of them, of course, right? But it's just the way it's working out. Is it the way it's all going to shake out unless companies all of a sudden expand? Yeah. Funding drops out of the sky. Yeah. So raining down dollar bills. I don't, I don't, I don't think I have an answer. I had a couple ideas, but nothing that's, I think is going to save. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you have people whose jobs it is who are doing the same thing and they can't even save the day yet. Yeah. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong though. Like maybe optimistic figures are that by April, May, we got the vaccine for the most part, we're able to get back to some degree of normalcy. Yeah. And then maybe we're performing again by fall, winter, you know, Nutcracker season's healthy and everybody's so excited that Nutcracker's a massive hit. All these companies make a ton of money. They have a surplus. Maybe we're back on track and it's actually more of a blip on the radar. You know, maybe it doesn't have to bottleneck so intensely. I certainly hope so because there's a whole lot of people who are freaking the fuck out right now, understandably so. And I really hope they get to dance because I I know for me, dude, if this happened when I was graduating, I would have looked at my mom like, mom, what the fuck is going on? Like, what am I supposed to do now? So fucking big hug to all you guys out there who are going through this right now. Damn. Do you have any ideas on how to solve it? On how to solve it? Yeah. Any tips? I mean, other than just cutting out my whole generator, this whole year, just this year gets screwed. We go back to normal next year. But uh, that doesn't, that's not really the situation I want. No. Yeah, I don't know. It's tough. So this, I can tell you my idea. And I'm not saying it's a good idea, but it's yeah. the only thing I wrote down that I thought was Something. Like constructive. I, I think that listening to people's pain is constructive because sometimes being heard is what you need to be able to move forward you know, to be understood and received. But in terms of actual direct being constructive, I guess it's more perspective. And so as we've talked about, ballet is hyper competitive and the amount of jobs available are already small. So like on a good day, getting a job as a dancer is really hard. Like really, really <laughs> extremely hard. hard. That's why people like cry <laughs> when they get a job. Yeah, and that's why you audition. That's why you send out your stuff to two hundred companies. Yeah. And yeah, it's not like you pick like three places. You're like, oh, these are where I want to go. It's like you're lucky if you end up at your last choice. So on a good day, it's really hard. With <laughs> with, <laughs> with what's going on now, it's mind-boggling. But it's almost like 
if you say, oh, I'm going to go do the polar bear swim, right? And so it's, it's, it's winter and the ice is frozen. I'm going to do a dip. Does it really matter if the water is 10 below or 20 below or 30 below? From a science perspective, I don't know, maybe it does. But at least in terms of how you feel, it's it cold. already sucks. It's like cold. It sucks no matter what. Yeah. Right? It's just degrees of sucking. But on a good day in the dance world, you're already having to be creative, tenacious, uh, determined. You're probably monitoring websites to see, okay, what auditions are available. So you got to be really paying attention to that. You got to mm-hmm. be just dedicated to send your stuff out to every single company until somebody says yes, right? Now it's just that, but ramped up to depersonalize it and say, okay, I'm going to separate myself from the disappointment and the sadness and the, this isn't fair mentality, which I totally understand. You go, well, what are some constructive things we can do? There's still a ton of stuff we can do that's constructive. If this forces people to become less averse to rejection, you know, because we just go, look, I now accept that most companies are going to say no. Yeah. And so it doesn't bother me anymore. Like there could be an upside here. Yeah. Just, it, yeah. Just when you start to take that personally. Yeah. It's really, you really got to build up your, your, your heart to not give up to like have its, its hard shell on and just to go for broke. In fact, no is the wall. And yes is the door. So you need to keep asking to find out where it's a wall until eventually you hear a yes and you go, okay, I found the door. You just, you know. Mm -hmm. Since we were talking about auditioning and uh, I know it's a hard process. I just recall a story. It's one of my favorite stories. (laughs) It's it's a positive note. Bring some light into this. Good. We can end on a high note. It's it's, it's very short. It's it's one of my friends. So uh, last year, you know, we're all auditioning everywhere and, you know, at the school, you have back when things were normal before March, mm-hmm. 2020, and we, you know, we're sending our videos out everywhere, and we're we're in this when audition season as it is, and one of my friends he comes in one morning or we're all warming up before class, and he's like, guys, oh my god, you'll never guess what I just did, and we were like, what? What'd you do? And he shows us what he did. He, instead of sending his audition video, he sent. Like a, like a five second long SpongeBob meme to a professional ballet company. And we were like, there's no way you did this. And he was like, <laughs> he's like, I'm dead. Like I'm done. My mom's going to kill me. But like, what? was it on purpose? No, no, it was a complete oh. mistake. He was like, he just, I guess he had the files in his computer. I don't know why he had a SpongeBob meme file in his computer, okay. but he, he's, a five second long his i think what tipped him off is when he looked at how long the video was <laughs> right. and he was like five seconds that's my tondus are a little bit longer than that yeah anytime i think of auditions now auditions are like that then re- immediately comes to the forefront of my mind and i always get Did a little, little chuckle what, what was the email he got back i'm assuming oh, they, a follow-up email saying sorry that was yeah he got something back i don't i don't remember exactly how it played out but uh <laughs> i do believe there was some form of I do believe you sent the wrong video. <laughs> yeah. Something is funny wrong. If they, it'd be funny if they responded with a different SpongeBob meme. <laughs> the yeah, contract yeah. you could have had. <laughs> just, yeah, the, <laughs> like angry Squidward or something. Yeah. Well, uh, audition fails are something we all have in common. All, <laughs> oh, yeah. We, we, we could go on, for, go on forever. Yeah. There was a girl I knew who fainted in an audition once. She just like full on, whoop. 
Middle of the room. Good luck. Is there anything you want to make fun of me for before we go? Uh, I think you, I think you, uh, you you covered that with the egghead at the beginning. Oh yeah. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I I wasn't sure if you were going to bring this up, but I I remember when, when I was teaching that summer program with you, Mm -hmm. that, uh, that was the summer that Pacific Rim came out Mm -hmm. and I saw it and I was like, this is amazing. This movie is so good. Uh, I, I still like Pacific Rim a lot. And and I was talking to you and was it John, the other boy? Yeah, John? it was John. I was talking to you and John about it and how good it was. And I was like, you guys got to get your parents to take you. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, I'll tell them that it's really important for your training. It's essential for your ballet training. <laughs> yeah, that, that you understand that you see these big monsters and these robots and you see the, the weight that these robots walk with and that you understand that's what you need to take into the studio. I tried to spin some bullshit. And I think, I think your mother saw through it like, once she saw the movie after she was like, yeah, okay. No, no. Cause she, she took it the other way. She took it like 100. She's going to hear this now. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. She's listening. <laughs> she's going to listen to this. But like she, <laughs> she was like, I really get the concept of like the little man in the big machine. And it's like, it's powering your whole body and your movement. Wow. And I'm like, he was just bullshitting us. Like, yeah. he was like, yeah. You also said something. It was like, you also have to have a steak dinner. I mean, you said something about that because <laughs> my mom went on about steaks for us. Oh, Because uh, John was living with us and he, he stayed yeah. with us for the intensive. Yeah. I think the steak thing might have just been, because that was the thing I was getting you guys to do push-ups, right? Yeah, we were doing the 10 to, 10 to 1. The yeah. 10 and the yeah, hold yeah. the 1, go to the left, go to the middle, go to the right, <laughs> go to the middle, come up halfway, come back down, go all the way. My like 13-year-old arms like prepubescent, like shaking, like I'm going to like, yeah. a seizure and fall over you talk about fainting i probably would have fainted i probably did so was that that we would do we would do one to ten or ten to one we do ten to one so you do ten push-ups ten push-ups nine. what it was you did ten and then john and i did ten then you did nine then we did nine and then right beep, up, beep, up, all the way down to, and then we did one together together and we would yeah shift and stay and yeah. you have to follow me right yeah it's good times. I did that probably for like four weeks after. And then I was like, I can't do this. I got some like, I got like tennis elbow from doing push-ups wrong. I got like, it would, yeah. I would like go down and would like whip out and come back in because I didn't have the muscle mass to like yeah. control my arms. Yeah. I was like, oh, I got to take a little break. And then, you know, well, you I'm still on little, break. Yeah. <laughs> Six years later. So yeah. like, you could, uh, a tennis elbow still, still a bit sore. <laughs> yeah, it gets me sometimes. <laughs> um, yeah. well, thanks for being here. Uh, really nice chatting with you and thank you for the insight yeah. into the the mind of a young person just beginning their career at a really really strange time appreciate your honesty i'm sure people at home also appreciate your honesty and thank you everybody for listening you can find us on instagram at tutu guys uh, send us a message about anything that you want us to cover in coming episodes we'd love to hear from you or you can email us at tutu guys pod at gmail.com uh andrus I will catch you next time. Thanks, Keelan. All right. Peace out, brother. Yeah. Do you have a sense of belonging anywhere? Dance. Just dance. Dance.